you see the title of this sermon this morning, Improving Your Serve. More than ever before, people, selfishness has become a way of life. Selfishness. We think about ourselves. We watch out for ourselves. We talk about ourselves and we defend ourselves, heaven forbid, when someone comes along and criticizes us. It's all about ourselves. We live in a me-first generation. A generation that is preoccupied with its own needs, and that in turn causes us to lose touch with one another. Here's a question. What does it mean to be a servant, to improve your serve? When you hear that word servant, for a lot of you, you know, that is not a glamorous title, to be a servant. You know, it brings to mind someone that is basically taken for granted. You know, someone with limited options and even less respect. But I want you to think back to what Jesus modeled and proclaimed. Look at Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but, I get this, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus we're talking about. This is God the Son. Are you kidding me? Come to serve and not to be served? Jesus obeyed the Father with total humility. And he redefined servanthood, servanthood as a sacred order, a holy calling to an unselfish life. And by practicing his example of servanthood, it will not only transform the way we lead, but also the way we live. To be like Jesus. You cannot serve without giving. And on the flip side, you cannot give without serving. You saw what Jesus did. So this is our calling as Christians, as you see on the screen. Am I doing that? Let's back up. Am I going around? Okay. Stop right there. I'm going to lay it down. I don't know if it's the heat on my hands. All right, this is our calling as Christians, to live an unselfish life, to be people helpers, to be people helpers, to serve rather than always expecting to receive, to give rather than striving to get and to keep. Those of you all that are tennis fans, that either watch it or play it, you know how important it is in a tennis match, how important the serve is to the success of the player. Christianity is like that. Christianity is like the sport of tennis. Those who serve the best win. Those who serve the best win. 
And today, I'm going to set that back down. One way to improve our serve, here's what we're going to talk about this morning, is in the area of forgetting. Forgetting? Forgetting what? You know that among one of God's greatest creation, if not the greatest creation, is the human mind. Your brain is capable of recording 800 memories per second for 75 years without ever getting tired. There is not a computer on the market that can match that. This is one of God's creations. There are those people, though, that are claiming that, hey, my, my brain is too tired to be involved in any, any kind of, maybe, maybe a memorization pro. I can't memorize verses. My brain, man, it's, it's just too tired. It's mush. I can't do that. Did you know that the body can get tired, but the brain cannot? Scientists tell us that the human brain doesn't use more than 2% of its brain power. Now, of course, some of you demonstrate this fact more obviously than others. But it does not use more than 2%. So you never really forget anything. You cannot forget. You just don't recall it. So here's a question for you. If everything is permanently filed inside our brains, including all the offenses we've suffered, then how can we forget a wrong done against us? Joe, you're telling me to forget. Now you're telling me that you can't forget. So what's going on here? What's going on here? I want to clarify for you all the meaning of forgetting in the spiritual sense, not the literal sense. And I want you to look at here at 1 Corinthians verse thir uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 5. This right here is the new... Living Translation. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And get this, and it keeps no record of being wrong. It keeps no record. In other words, it's never brought up. You hear people say, forgive and forget. This is, when you forgive, if you have truly forgiven people, you never bring up that offense. You never bring it back up. And this goes along with the forgetting. You overlook that, as you'll see here in a little bit. Look at Webster's um, definition. Here's Webster's definition of to forget. To treat with inattention or disregard, to overlook. This is the forgetting that we're talking about this morning. You as a servant, 
those who are motivated by God's love, you don't keep these meticulous mental ledgers of all the wrongs that have ever been committed against you. You don't keep that. You disregard them. You overlook them. The psalmist says here, Psalm 119, 165, great peace, that word peace there is shalom. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing, nothing can make them stumble. People who have a great love for God's word will have great measures of his shalom, of his peace. And along with that peace, they will be big enough to resist stumbling over any offenses that come into their life. This shalom, this peace. I want to link this now with what Jesus had uh, said about judgmental spirit. Look here in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? That word for eye is where we get our word optometry. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. That alone, people, is a very delicate thing when it comes to dealing with the eye. And if you don't think Jesus had a sense of humor, he says here, let me take this back, when there is a log in your own eye. Big log, little speck. You hypocrite. There's a name for you people that condemn in other people what you condone in yourself, and right here's that name. Hypocrite. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck, this very delicate procedure, take the speck out of your brother's eye. This judgmental attitude. So these three verses we just talked about, it defines forgetting these three ways. The first one is refusing to keep score. That's a way of forgetting. Refusing to keep score. Being bigger than an offense. Being bigger than an offense that is brought against you. And harboring no judgmental attitude. Now, Forgetting offenses is only half the picture. The other half is what we're going to see in Paul's letter to the Philippians. As he defines forgetting as the ability to, now get this, to go on beyond our own good deeds. Once you have done a good deed, it's over. It's done. What we like to do, we like to drop little hints later on 
on how good that deed was and when we did that deed and how thoughtful we were because of the fact that we did that deed. We dropped a little hints. Once the good deeds, once you do a good deed, people, that's it. Drop it. This is the other part, what we're talking about this morning, about forgetting. And that's what improving our serve includes, forgetting our service. Hey, could you do that for me? You remember? Now, I did this for you, so... Honey, would you care to go out and wash the car? You remember I bought you flowers a couple of weeks ago. You don't drop, you know, terrible motive. You don't drop those hints anymore. You do the deed and you forget it. So here we have example of the Apostle Paul. Look what he says to Philippians. Notice his service record here. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Look at this. This is impeccable right here. You know, a lot of us have a spiritual ego, but Paul had every reason to have one. But he refuses to brag about this. Because look what he says in this next verses, 7 through 9. He said, but. He just, he just went through, you know, his service record. Then you see this word, but. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He counts everything as lost compared to knowing Christ. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. New Living Translation says, uses the word garbage in order that I may gain Christ. There it is again. Are you seeing what he's saying here? Because of Christ. Not because of Paul. Because of Christ. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, in other words, it comes from works, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here is an example of a servant who's a forgetter. But you got to ask yourself, what caused or what was it that allowed Paul to develop such an attitude? You know, Paul's salvation experience occurred 30 years prior to this letter, letter to the Philippians. You know, he had won many spiritual battles in that 30 years. He'd grown a lot. On that road to Damascus, whenever he, he was blinded, people, it was at that point when he went from a persecutor and won with the law to when he became a servant. 
But I want you to look at this confession that he says here. Here's what it was that allowed him to develop such an attitude. And this is from the Living Bible. Philippians 3, 12-14. I don't mean to say I am perfect. I haven't learned all I should even yet, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. There's going to come a day. No, dear brothers, I am still not all I should be, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. And here's the one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end. I strain. Not a very pleasant word. I thought this was easy. He says, I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. This right here, this is what allowed Paul to have this attitude. Do you see his perspective? It's not about him. As great as he is, you know, these... These excellent, you know, what we just read about. He says, I have not arrived. He says, I forget what is behind. I move on to what is ahead. And it's these three statements that represent the following three areas in our lives. And I'm talking about vulnerability. I'm talking about humility. And determination. Those three things in your lives. Vulnerability. Here we've got this brilliant, gifted leader saying, I don't have it all together yet. I don't have it all together yet. And it's people who struggle with being vulnerable, they have a greater difficulty forgetting the wrongs of others. Those people that struggle with being vulnerable. To be able to forget the wrongs of others, we must admit our personal needs. We all have them. Confess our limitations and our failures and have a teachable spirit. That's what it means to be vulnerable. If you struggle with being vulnerable, you will find yourself, again, struggling with forgetting the wrongs of others that they do to you. Here's the problem. We want a Christian reputation more than we want Christ. (laughs) Really, Joe? We would love, we love the reputation. What a great person. Look what they do. Again, you're wanting the reputation, people. Paul, Paul said, forget about the reputation. All he did was because of Christ. You know, we love to flaunt 
our successes. But yet, on the other hand, we hide our failures. I just, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to, not that I'm bragging on a success I have here, but this is an illustration. I dug up a root ball in my yard. Do you all know what a root ball is? Apparently, surely you do. You all know what plantains were. A root ball, of course, is the ball of roots under the ground, you know, that the tree... Okay. I just want to make sure you all were still awake. I mean, am I losing you? I know it's hot in here. We had this tree. Well, I don't know. It wasn't really a tree, but it was a bush that grew to be like a tree. I never knew. If I knew it would have grown as big as it did, I would never have bought it. But we had this, we, we had this tree slash bush that grew... And it was beautiful in bloom. It's where we took all the homecoming pictures, all of the, um, all of the um, prom pictures. Come on, let's go out in front of the bush. Well, I don't know what happened, and I really did not do this on purpose. But one year I trimmed it because it was kind of laying over on the house. I trimmed the bush slash tree. Well, guess what happened the next year? It was dead. I don't know what, all I did was cut. I promise you, I didn't inject any kind of anything into the, into the tree or nothing, but it died. But the time when it was alive, it was beautiful, straight, beautiful. Well, I thought, okay, I finally, my wife started dropping subtle hints that I needed to get rid of this because she said, we're driving up to our house. She said, you know, there's two things when we approach our house that really doesn't look good. So you husbands, you listen for these, the, the subtlety. You listen for these hints. They're important. You can only put them off so often. And she said, number one is the tree slash bush. It looked like something, I know Bo, you're out there and you can hear me, but I saw some of Bo's pictures when they went to wherever it is y'all went, Beth, for the, yeah, you know, the, the dead looking tree. I mean, it looked really cool out there. Well, this could have fit in that picture. Black and white, they were just, it was ugly. But Nancy said, yeah, that tree's one of them. Of course, I got a little basketball goal that's rusty and leaning, but that's a different story. So I thought, okay. I cut it. it was to the point to where we've got a fire pit that whenever I need wood, I'd walk around and I'd break a big branch off and go hauling it back to the fire pit. I had a, you know, a supply of wood. So finally, I had, I had a day. I thought, okay, I'm going to get rid of it. Took all that, broke it off, saw that. I thought, okay, I'm going to dig up this root ball. Big mistake, big mistake. I started digging, and I dug, and I cut. I'm digging around it. I've got a moat around. This root ball is like this, and it would take three of us to lift it. And I'm digging around. I'm digging to the point to where I'm sitting down, and I'm digging with a claw hammer, which I always, you know, told my wife, never use my hammer to dig with. I'm digging with my hammer, and I'm digging, and I'm digging, and I'm cutting all these little gnarly-looking roots going every which way but loose. 
And the point I'm getting, I finally, I finally found there was this main route. I got down to it. I cut it. I hooked a strap to it, hooked my truck to it. I start pulling out. I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of cringing because I got my truck. And all of a sudden, my truck, you know, it fights back, and then my truck starts pulling. I thought, all right, number one, I either pulled the strap off, or number two, I tore the transmission out of my truck. Well, I got out of the truck, and praise the Lord, the root ball was out. But once it come out, and this is the point I'm getting at, is all of this gnarliness under the ground. The beauty at the top and the gnarliness under the ground of the roots. And that, that goes, that's what I'm talking about about our lives. We brag on the beauty of the tree slash bush. We don't want to talk about what is all going on underneath to make that look beautiful. But we like to brag about that. But it was so unlike Christ. He became sin for us to the, to the point to where he had no reputation. Forget the reputation. And people, when you brag about your goodness, you build barriers. You build barriers. But when you confess your sins and the fact that you've, you have these struggles, you tear those barriers down. So that's vulnerability. Second one is humility. Forgetting the past. Think about Paul's past, the abuses that he suffered. Imprisonments, countless beatings, almost to death. Five times received the 39 lashes allowed by Jewish law. They could have beat him more, but if you would beat someone more than 39 times and they died, then you're held accountable for that person dying. But if you beat them up to 39 and they died 39 or below, that's okay, that was in the law. Five times, 39 lashes. Just do the math. Five times. Three times beaten with rods, stonings, shipwreck, three times. I'd say probably nobody really hung out with Paul. I mean, he would be difficult to hang with. This guy, I mean, he was just a magnet for persecution. But he was doing it all to come for the knowledge of Christ Jesus. This humility. These could have consumed him. The first beat, the first lash, I believe, would have driven me away. Five times, 39 lashes. And then countless other beatings to the point again, to where the man almost died. But he was never bitter. He refused to keep score. He chose to be bigger than the offenses and to harbor no judgmental attitude. That's Paul. Oh, what about this guy, Joseph? You're talking about humble forgetfulness. Rejected and hated by his brothers. You know he was 17 when they threw him in the pit? This is a young man here. 17 years old when they threw him in his pit. 
sold to a caravan heading to Egypt. Then, and then when he got to Egypt, he was sold again as a common slave. He was sold to Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh. This is Joseph we're talking about here. Then, you know the story about Potiphar's wife. He was falsely accused of rape with Potiphar's wife, and he ended up in jail. And then when he was 30, that's when Pharaoh brought him out of jail. So from 17 to 30, you see what Joseph went through. He had every reason to nurse these wounds. Every reason. He refused to remember the offenses. I want you to look at this. Genesis 41:51. Case in point here. Here's the naming of his firstborn. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. This word Manasseh, the Hebrew name that means causing to forget. Causing to forget. And that shows you who does the erasing. In order for us to forget the wrongs that other people inflict upon us, it's God. God takes the place of your painful memories that allows you to rise above, you know, and, and to forget, to disregard. It's His presence, it's His power, His very life that allows us, like Paul, to forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead, which brings us to the last one, and that's determination. Paul said, I strain to reach the end. So here he had vulnerability. He said, I'm still learning. Humility, I refuse to stay in the past, leads to moving ahead and not quitting. And Paul's focus was always on the future, and that allowed him to say this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You want a, head, you want a headstone epitaph? Did I say that word epitaph right? Or anything, what you want etched on your headstone? This right here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And here's three practical reminders for you. Number one, forgetting reminds me that I too have flaws. Think for a minute. What if other people kept critical accounts of every sin and shortcoming on you? Ooh. Quit stepping on my toes. People, you wouldn't stand a chance. Recognizing this will open you up to forgetting the imperfections of others. Number two, 
Forgetting enables me to be understanding and encouraging, not petty and negative. Not petty and negative. I said it again. When you disregard the faults of others and not holding them against them, you protect your heart from being overrun with a judgmental spirit. This is a great witness, people. This is a great witness that will inspire other people to do the same. A great witness. And here's the last one. Don't you like when you hear the pastor say that? Do you have three up there on your screen? All right, I'll look if you're not going to tell me. Okay, you just got two. All right, here's the last one. Forgetting frees me to live for tomorrow rather than being hung up on yesterday. You cannot press on toward the tomorrow God desires for you if you're dragging the weight of yesterday behind you the whole time. You can't do it. And that brings us to this transition now to communion. And this, this is so, your, your ability to forget people, to rise above and go beyond the faults of others, that's what allows you to get ready to do what we're doing, is it allows you to remember. Your ability to forget allows you to remember what we're getting ready to take part here in communion. To be reminded often about what this is all about, and that's about Christ. It's not about you. You've heard that before. It's not about you. You have to get over yourself. Improve your serve. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. To be humble. To be determined as Paul was. That allows you again to come to the table this morning. And people communion, it's a time of fellowship. You know, it's something here that, you know, that binds us all together as believers. You know, it doesn't create fellowship. You know, fellowship is a prerequisite to communion. But with the bread and the juice that we have this morning, the bread representing the life, the body, the juice, the blood. This cup during the, the Last Supper was actually the cup of redemption. It's called the cup of redemption. It's what we're taking part of this morning. So we here at MCF, we, we believe in, we exercise open communion. As long as you are a born-again believer, we invite you to come forward. If you are not a born-again believer, we ask you to just, where you're at, to just think about what was said this morning. Think about who all this is about. 
and then maybe afterwards to ask somebody. We've got two stations here. When you feel when you feel ready to come to the table, please come. If you're holding offenses towards other people, I ask you to first go to those people and make up. Drop those offenses. Because Paul tells us in his word, it's a, he says, that's why a lot of you are sick, or some of you all have even died, because you're taking this, and you're really not qualified to do so. This is a serious thing we're getting ready to do here. It cost Jesus his life. We're here to remember, to come together in fellowship, to remember what he did on the old rugged cross that we sang about earlier. Again, that symbol of suffering and pain. So I want you to be sure when you come up, but if, if, you, if you're ready to this morning, I'm going to pray. And when I get done praying, as you feel led, please come up, take the bread, dip it in the juice. You can either eat it there, or you can go back to your seat. But people do it in remembrance of Him. Don't do it just because it's something that we do here at the first Sunday of every month, and probably some of you all haven't eaten since 8.30 this morning. You do it in remembrance of Him. It's all about Him. So get over yourself. Wow, I sounded like my dad just then. I don't mean to be <laughs> harping at you all. I'm, even if you all didn't show up, I'd have, this, is, these are my, this is what was laid on my heart. This is what I struggle with. I just let you all hear my struggles. Let's pray. Father, how difficult it is to get over ourselves. But you've shown us in your word this morning, Father, how we can forget, how we can overcome, how we can rise above these offenses that come into our lives. How Paul looked to Jesus. How Paul fought the good fight. He ran the race. And now he was ready to meet Jesus. We have a future. Those of us in this room. Those of us that are believers. We've had a past. 
But Father, just like Paul said, forgetting what is behind me, straining forward to what is ahead. Let that be our attitude. Father, let us help us to improve our serve. To continue to serve others, Father, and not always looking to be served. That just that just flies in the face of what Jesus came to this to this earth about. So, Father, I just pray that there have been hearts touched this morning. I just pray that there have been lives that, have, that are changed. Father, don't let anybody walk out of this room the same way they were when they walked in. Your word has gone forth. I, I didn't make any of this up. This is your word. This is truth. Father, take that truth. Change our lives. Let us get involved with people. Let us serve others. Let us forgive others. Father, help us to deal with our judgmental attitude. Let us first get that log out of our eyes, Father, before we can do the very tedious job, the very delicate in dealing with a problem in someone else's life. Don't let us condemn in others, Father, what we condone in ourselves. That's wrong. Bless our time of communion, Father. As we do it in remembrance. As our ability to forget, Father, allows us to remember. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.